We are incredibly blessed in this church to have some amazing teachers. People that can really unpack the word of God to us. And Andy Hare is one of those guys. We're really blessed actually to have him and Raj as, as part of, and Sam and Nina as part of the church, church family. Um, and I'm going to pray as Andy gets himself wired up, but you know, this, this series, this mini series that we're doing about Jesus is Lord, so what? I said last week when I preached, it has the potential to radically transform our lives. It talks in the Bible about us going from one degree of glory to the next. And this is for that. This is for that. So, Father, as Andy comes to preach, I want to pray that you would, you know, you've already been taking walls down in our life, that you would open us up, Lord God, to be able to hear from you. I pray for a for teachable hearts this morning and for a spirit of revelation in this place. Thank you, Father. Amen. Good morning. It's lovely to see you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak this morning. So if you've got your Bibles with you, it'd be quite helpful because I'm afraid I've got no slides. I do apologize. Just didn't get quite round to doing slides. So if you have a Bible, that'd be really helpful. And if you want to turn to somewhere in the Sermon of the Mount, that'd be great, which I know you all know is between Matthew 5 and 7. Somewhere around there, and I'll look at that in a bit. So if you want to just get ready for that. So as Jane said, in fact, it was really helpful. Jane prayed something this morning, which... uh, So I've been wrestling with what to, to share this morning, and then basically Jane prayed something that is exactly what I'm going to say. So that's great when God works in such a way that things are joined up. It's, it's wonderful. So we're going to look at uh, Jesus Lord, so what? What does it matter? Why does it matter? Why does it matter that Jesus is Lord? It should matter completely. And so I'm going to share a bit about my own testimony just briefly. Then I'm going to look at what does it mean that Jesus is Lord and then how can Jesus be Lord? So I'm just going to start off with just my, my growing up as a Christian. I might have shared some of these things before, so I do apologize. So I grew up in a Christian house. And my, for some reason, my early recollections of the Christian life was that I was really, really frightened of hell. So hell for me was just the worst, well, it is the worst thing ever, Right. Uh, this idea of eternity. So eternity, when you think about eternity, something that goes on and on and on forever and ever without ceasing, if you think about it too too carefully, it can really mess with your mind, right? And then if you add to that this idea of a punishment that goes on forever and ever and ever, and I had a pretty wild imagination when I was younger. And so I could think of all the really awful kind of pictures of hell, what hell could be, like Hell could be, for instance, I used to think, well, it might be being buried alive underneath the earth. You hear stories of that, right? I mean, I don't know how people do that. I don't know how you bury someone alive, but it happens. And so I thought, imagine being buried alive and they'd be never, never ceasing. We'd go on forever. You can see what sort of childhood I had. So we go on forever and ever and ever. It was a really great childhood, honestly. Um, my parents will be listening. It was a really great childhood. And then uh, the other one was a, uh, I had to imagine being in a box. I might have had some sort of issues with small spaces, but I, I imagine being in a box. It was only just a bit bigger than me. 
And that will go on for eternity. You couldn't escape from it. And then they'll play some awful music like, you know, Des O'Connor. Um, he's, uh, so I apologize if there's some Des O'Connor. I'm sorry, sorry. I'm so sorry. So sorry. I, I tried to think of something else, but I couldn't. So Des O'Connor going on forever and ever on loop, you know, his greatest hit. Uh, just going on forever and ever and ever. Uh, you get that sometimes if you go to stores and people work in stores, they listen to the same music all day in a shift, you know, that sort of thing. So anyway, that was my, um, I should have got out more, done some more stuff, but that was what was going on in my mind. And then at church, I was at church and then people would talk about this Jesus and this Jesus died on the cross and he could rescue you from hell. So with me, with this picture of hell going on and this, this Jesus that could save me from that, I would do anything, anything to not go to that place, whatever that place was. And whether it's a box or being buried under the earth or whatever, hell is not a great place, right? So I used to think that I would do anything. And so when I heard about this Jesus, I thought, this is it. I want him to save me from that place, from that hell. And so uh, we may have all experienced this, but you may yourself have said the, I'm not going to say the magic words, but the words where you say, Jesus, I invite you into my life, etc., etc. And then I, I was saved. I got my Bible and I got my book token or whatever it was. And now I was a Christian and now I was saved from hell. And that was a wonderful thing in many ways. And so, uh, yeah, get a book token. Uh, that's what happened to the Methodist Church. So uh, just want to say that. Um, yeah, you, you should do it here, really. Um, so uh, you're saved. And here's, a, here's a book token. Um, so I, I, I had this idea that I was saved from hell, and that was a wonderful thing. But here's the thing. This is what I, I kind of had in my head. So Jesus has kind of saved me from hell, and that's a place that's future. But it doesn't really matter how I live now, right? So it's very, very, very easy to make Jesus your saviour, but not your Lord. That he can save you from what is to come, but that has no effect on the life that you have here and now on earth. And so I had this dual thing going on where I was saved from hell, and that's a wonderful thing. And I had a, I'm saved from hell, get out of hell card, or whatever it is in my back pocket, right? That I could just display at the pearly gates or the celestial city or wherever. I could pull that out and say, look, I am saved because I said those words at that particular time, at that particular meeting. And so I'm fine now. But how I live my life, I realised, I didn't, didn't really matter, right? And we can so easily be in this place as Christians where we can say, we're saved, we're righteous, everything's done, everything's finished, but we just carry on our lives as if nothing changes. And so for me growing up, I just lived just like the world. I was no different. I looked like the world. I sounded like the world. I lived my life completely like that. Jesus was not my Lord. He was just my saviour. And it's very easy to be in that place. But I wasn't particularly happy. So I then went through this process of thinking, what does it mean to live a Christian life? So a number of things happened in my life. I went to Africa um, on a short uh, missionary trip and God really spoke to me and he started to stir something up in my life about what if there's something more to this Christian life than we just grit our teeth, get through life and then get to heaven and everything's fine then. What if there's something of heaven that we can experience now? What if if we make the Lord the Lord in our lives today, maybe we'll find life. And I started to think, well, if this God 
is a God of love and a God of grace and a God of mercy and a God of peace and a God of life and a God of light, wouldn't it make sense to live as close to that God as possible? Because I wasn't living that way at all. I was living far from him. I would go to church every now and again. I would just keep God sweet in that sense. I would pray every now and again, read my Bible every now and again, do those things just so that I kept on God's side. side, And I still had that get out of hell free card. But I wasn't living, embracing the fullness of the God life. And that was a huge mistake. And I say to you three there, Please live your life. And James, you know, please live your life fully for God. It's so, so important that we embrace this life because it is the way to live. So I then looked at some scriptures and there's loads of scriptures. I saw that these scriptures weren't about the life just to come. It was about the life here. So Jesus says, I've come to give life and life in all its fullness. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The father who sees in secret will reward you. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. I suddenly realize these these scriptures aren't about just the life to come. They're the life here and now, that heaven can start here. The, the process we're on as human beings, there's only two ways. There's either a way that goes to hell or a way that goes to heaven. And that starts here and now. And I suddenly dis- discovered that in my own life. And I thought, well, if Jesus is who he is, and if he truly offers life, then I'm going to find a way of living that to the best of my ability. And so I started to really pursue God. And I just want to say, where does that start? And this is where I just need you to look at your Bibles because I just want to pick up on something that Jane very eloquently spoke about last week, which is an amazing verse, a really challenging verse in uh, Matthew 7. And I won't go through it completely because we looked at it last week, but it's that part where people will say to Jesus, Lord, Lord, I did these things in your name. I healed people. I prophesied. I did all these things for your name. And He will say to some people that do those things, depart from me, I never knew you. And I was just processing, as Jane was sharing last week, about that's a really strange thing for Jesus to say, in some ways, when you think about it. I never knew you. You'd have thought it would be the other way around, right? You never knew me. You never prayed. You never sought me. Uh, You had ample opportunity to try and find me. And there's plenty of scriptures about seeking God. But it's actually the opposite way around. It just seems doesn't seem right. I was listening to what you were saying. And it's like, why would Jesus say, I never knew you? Wouldn't it be that Jesus would say, you never knew me? You imagine if uh, you came into some money. Say you won the lottery. And you hear stories of this. When people win the lottery, people come out of the woodwork that they've never seen for years and years and years. And they start to befriend the person with the money. And the person with the money realizes that they only want to be their friend for a particular reason. And that friend with the money might say to those people that are pursuing them, but you never, you were never interested in me when you had the opportunity. You never knew me in that sense. The person with the money wouldn't necessarily say, necessarily say, I never knew you. He would say, but you never, you were never interested in me. You never, wanted to be my friend when he had the opportunity. You just want to be my friend now that I have money. So it seems a funny way of 
saying about, you know, Jesus saying, I never knew you. And the other thing with that is that, how is that possible? Because he's God, right? So surely he knows everything about us. In fact, if you go over to Matthew 10, he says, God even knows when a sparrow falls to the ground. Right? He knows everything. So how could he not know human being? And when he says he knows a sparrow that falls to the ground, he says the thing that every follically challenged person hates, even those the hairs on your head, right? Uh, which for me is three, so it's very, very simple. It was four last year. So how can Jesus be saying, I never knew you? That, that to a certain extent, cannot be true because he knows us. And it's a bit like that bit where Adam and Eve sin and then they hide in the garden and then God says, where are you? Like, God clearly knows where they are. Jesus clearly knows, to an extent, who we are. He knows us to a certain extent. But what James said last week is absolutely true. This is talking about an intimacy I never knew you at a intimate level. Like a husband or wife or like a, a mum and their son or, a, or a, a dad and their daughter, that intimacy, that, that connection that you have with someone where you don't even have to say words because you know each other so well. That connection where you can just pass the time together and you know each other. You know what you're going to say or what you're not going to say. You know your will. You're intertwined. That's what Jesus said. I never knew you like that. I think what Jesus is saying, and I may be wrong, and you can take this or leave this. I think he's saying, but you never let me in. You never let me in. You had all this opportunity to invite me fully into your life, but you never let me in. You never allowed me to know you. Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and have a meal with them. There is a sense, even as Christians, that God knocks on the door of our heart. Do you remember that? I don't know whether you've seen the famous picture, Holman Hunt. If you go to St. Paul's Cathedral, you'll find this. I think it's the original, or maybe a copy, I'm not sure. This is not the original, so don't worry. This is, um, this is one I bought from the museum. But this is uh, Jesus knocking on the door of someone's heart. And it's very, 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 very possible that we can live our lives as Christians and we only allow Jesus at the front door. We may only allow him in our hallway. And Jane was praying, right, about God coming into our house. And this scripture in Revelation is all about a house. And if you imagine your life as there are lots of rooms in your life, and sometimes we only let God into a few rooms, you only allow Jesus into my hallway, but that's where you're, you're, you're stopping I'm not going to let you come in anymore. I never knew you. I was never Lord of every part of your life. He wants to be Lord of every part of our life. He doesn't just want the study. He doesn't just want the kitchen. He wants everything. Not because he's an egomaniac control freak, but because it's the best life for us. If you allow him fully, fully, fully in. And we're all on that process. But I was for years a person that, that God was just knocking on my door. But I wouldn't fully let him in. And I so, so regret that. I've missed 20 years of living as a Christian as I could have. So I'm saying, if you are wherever you are, there is always more. Always more. He wants to come into every room. 
And what are those rooms? For some of us, it may be a room where there's unforgiveness. For some of us, there may be a room where there's anger, where there's grief, where there's bitterness, where there's lust, where there's envy, where there's idolatry. A room where, by idolatry, a room where we... We put something before God. We say, this room here, this is more important to me than God. And so we can have all these rooms where we are not allowing him because of control. And I just want to say that Jesus is the safest person in the world, in the universe. Person, God, being. He is the kindest. He's the most loving. He is safe. He's so safe. And there is a wonderful, wonderful opportunity and place for us where we allow more of him in our lives. We will find more peace and more joy and more life. And life will be flowing out of you. And that's what he wants for every Christian. But I think so many Christians, they just allow God in just a little bit. And I want to live my life how I want to. And you can do that. And God is so gracious. He won't knock walls down. But... But there's so much we're missing. And how can we advertise this amazing God if we're not living fully for him? Here's another way of looking at it if you like pictures. Imagine, think about the Israelites going through the wilderness and they entered the promised land. And they went through originally out of Egypt. That's kind of the life from non-Christian to Christian. And then they went through the wilderness where they're wrestling with God about whether they want God to be Lord of their lives. And then they, in a sense, go through the Jordan River, which is, I think, the spiritual rebirth. It's the being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then you go into the promised land. Now, when they were in the promised land, it wasn't like we're done, we're finished, we're, you know, everything's glorious and wonderful. It's not. There were strongholds, right? Pockets. And I want you to see that that promised land is your heart. And there are parts of your heart that there are still strongholds. There are Jerichos in your heart and AIs in your heart and Canaanite kings. And what did God say? You've got to destroy them, get rid of them completely. And then when you get rid of them completely, that's when the glory comes. What are those strongholds in your life? What are those things that you still haven't fully given over to God? Because we're all there. We, none of us here are perfect, all right? None of us have got, I've sorted it. It's absolutely fine. I'm perfect with God. We're all in this process together. What is it that is still a stronghold in your life? And I just want you to flick over to the Beatitudes. So how can we do this? And I'm reading from the NLT. So, so the Beatitudes. I'm going to read them in case you haven't got a Bible with you. It says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they shall inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice or righteousness, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, For they shall see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they be called children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward uh, awaits you in heaven. Now, there's different ways you can look at this, but I'm going to suggest a few things that you can either take or leave. Firstly, I think there's a division between sins of omission and sins of commission. 
So by mission, I think the things that we, we do that we shouldn't do. And by commission, I mean the things that we should do that we don't do. And if you look at the beginning of the Beatitudes, they're all about heart attitudes. So it's getting your heart right. And then if you look at the last three, they're more about outward actions. So peacemakers, it's something you do to others. Um, righteous works is something you do. And following God is something you can do as an outward. But the things before it are, I would say, more heart things, more internal things. And the first step is always, God, I need you. God blesses those who recognize their need for him. In other words, we don't deal with the things of our heart just in our own strength. So there are many times when I get on my hands and knees and I recognize something in me that I don't like. I don't want to be like this, God. I want to be different. I want to be more holy. I want to be more like you. And so I get on my hands and knees and I say, I'm going to try and deal with this in the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it in your own strength. It's always in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you read Romans 8, 13, something like that, it says that we change by the power of the Spirit. And so we start off with this place of needing God. And then as you need God, it says here in the NLT that we mourn. And what that mourning is, is not necessarily when we're going through a hard time that God comforts us, although that is true, but it's a mourning in the sense I'm aware of my own lack, as it were. I'm aware of these sins that were in me. Not in condemnation because we're saved and everything's fine, but there's a mourning going on when you recognize that I'm not in the place that I should be. I see this amazing God, and if you want to feel the way to what God is like, just read the Sermon on the Mount, right? <laughs> you only have to read that to go, that's impossible. But that's the sense that we're in. Not in condemnation, not that we feel I'm rubbish, I'm useless, nothing like that. God accepts us, receives us, that salvation is already there. I'm going to heaven, everything's fine. But this is about how I practically live here on earth. And so there's a mourning going on. It's a sense of, I could do better, but God will comfort us. And as we recognize the things within us, because our tendency is to recognize the things that other people have, right? But this is dealing with the things that we have. And that's where it starts, right? And so when you recognize the things in yourself that actually aren't good, then it leads to humility. I realize, how can I even be proud when I've got these things going on? And then that humility can lead to a hungering for, I think righteousness is better, but some are called justice, but I think righteousness. And this is a person that's dealing with the things in their heart. They're dealing with the lust. They're dealing with the anger. They're dealing with the frustration. They're dealing with whatever it is that those rooms or those strongholds in their life. And then as we do those things, we become pure in heart. And as we become pure in heart, we see God. And this is where the glory comes. This is the bit in the Old Testament where they've got rid of all those enemies in the land. The Canaanites have gone, although they weren't fully removed. And then David wanted to build the temple, but it wasn't David, it was son Solomon. And then the glory came. Once they dealt with all the strongholds, the glory then came. And this, I think, is about living the holy life. When you live the holy life, you start to see God more and more. And I know that in my own life, you know, I think John Wesley said the the happiest people are the holiest people, right? Holiness equals happiness. If you really want to know joy, get your heart right with God. If you really want to know joy, make sure that every room in your house is given over to him. Again, not in condemnation. This is all in grace. But God is so wonderful that he wants to deal with every area because he's a gracious, kind God. 
And then as you give your heart more and more to him, more and more, you start to see God. And I can't explain it, but it's so true. You start to see more of God. And the way that God works with me, and this is going to sound really ludicrous, but when I go for a walk, I love walking. I start to see creation like it's just in technicolor more than it was before. I can't describe it, but I start to... Normally, I just walk, walk past a tree, and maybe most of you just say, well, that's just a tree. How exciting is that? But I look and say, that is amazing. That's incredible. The blue skies, whatever. All the colors are like magnified in me because there's a sense that I see God in everything. And that's what it says here. When we purify our hearts, when we deal with the things in our lives, then we start to see purely and we start to see God. And then what does that lead to? That then leads to... When we get the inside right, the outside deals with itself. Now, Jesus said that, right? Wash the inside of the cup and the outside will be fine. Don't just deal with the outside, but deal with the inside. Then when you deal with the inside, the outside will be great. In other words, and I'll finish with this, let the Lord be the Lord of your inside. Then he'll be the Lord of your outside. Let him deal with the things that are within you. Let him, let, let him be the Lord of what is in you. And then he'll be the Lord of the outside of you. I think Jesus was the freest person, God, I know he's deity as well, but freest person living on the planet. He spoke truth when he needed to speak truth. When I, is that my time up? Is that my time up? Is that, have I got, I've got to keep going. Right, sorry, I thought it was a long go. So, so Jesus had incredible compassion, but he didn't mess around, right? He didn't mess around. He said things that were, that were true, even if they were painful at times. For me, I'm not like that at all, right? I, I will back away. I won't say the things that probably need to be said. I think God had, Jesus had amazing confidence. And I think we can grow in this as we get our hearts right with God. That the outside, we become peacemakers. We become people that live righteously, do righteous deeds more and more. In actual fact, we become people of love. So if you read the list in Colossians 3, which I think matches this, it says, deal with the things lurking within you. So take off those sins of um, omission. Get rid of those things. Get rid of the things that are deep within you. And then it says, put on love. And it actually talks about let peace rule in your heart. Be peacemakers. So I think when we get the inside right, the outside will deal with itself. When I get my heart right before God in prayer or whatever it is, through repentance, confession, whatever it is that I need to do, then I find that I'm close to God. Then I'm able to do more and more. So my challenge to you in 2020 is to pick one thing that you know that you need to deal with. One heart attitude that you have that, Lord, what, and, and ask the Lord what it is. What is it that you want me to deal with my life, that, that room, that area of my life that maybe I've never fully let you in? Why don't you take that and say, I am, through the support of friends, the church, in the power of the Holy Spirit, through prayer, going to deal with that in my life. Just one thing, because sometimes we get overwhelmed. Maybe we have many rooms that God does not have access to, and that's overwhelming to do that. But I would suggest just one, that you say, I'm going to really work on this. I'm really going to work on this this year, because I want to be free in this area. I want the Lord to be the Lord of this particular area in my life. And get someone to help you as well. I know that's difficult to confess your sins. But the Bible says, confess your sins to one another. So I just asked a friend last week, I said, would you mind if we just pal up 
and we were just really honest with each other about our lives because I desperately want to grow in more of God's righteousness and I can't do that in my own strength. And James says, confess your sin to one another and then, uh, then you'll be healed, then you'll be whole. And that, that healing is like a wholeness. And I want to live in the wholeness of what God has done on the cross. In fact, I always say to myself, I want to live in the fullness of everything that Jesus has done for me, that nothing in a sense is wasted. I'm just going to pray. Lord, we just thank you so much that you are a kind, gracious God. And we were singing that song about revival. And revival, Lord, is really where we get our hearts right with you. And I just ask for us as a church, as a family, as friends, that you would help us to deal with whatever it is that you want us to deal with. Lord, if there's something that we know deep in our hearts, this we are not letting you into. This is an area where we are not making you Lord. This is an area where uh, we recognize, I recognize that there is a stronghold still and it's been there for years. I ask, oh Lord, by the power of your spirit that you would help us to deal with that this year. So I just invite you, Holy Spirit, just to come and minister. I invite you, Holy Spirit, just to come and touch hearts. I invite you, Holy Spirit, just to bring uh, what it is that you want us to deal with because it's different for each one of us. If there's something, some heart attitude that we're struggling with right now, Lord, I just pray shame go in the name of Jesus. There is no shame because there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I thank you that no matter what we go through, we are still saved, Lord. That doesn't change. But I ask, Lord God, that we would not be a slave to anything. I say that every slavery be gone in the name of Jesus. And I speak uh, freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And I declare freedom over this church, freedom over our minds and our hearts, that we would discover that, that more and more life that you offer us, that increasing life that you offer us through the power of the Spirit. Lord, I pray that for every single member of this church in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh. That's brilliant, Andy. You can see why, obviously, we invited Andy and others to, to speak into this.